Hello, health investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Michael Winterdale. Dr. Winterdale leads a multidisciplinary research group at the Department of Nuclear Medicine and PET Center at Aarhus University, Denmark, which aims to understand the effects of neuropeptides on human behavior by using a combination of state-of-the-art brain scanning methods, cognitive neuroscience theory, and animal models. I was particularly interested in Dr. Winterdale's research on the effects of sugar on the brain, which is why I wanted to have him on the podcast. In the episode, he shares the experiment he set up to measure the effect sugar has on the brain, the results of his experiment, what the results mean for humans, and more. If you've been enjoying the Health Investment Podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write an Apple Podcast review. Reviews not only provide me with great feedback, but they also help the podcast to gain traction and get discovered by new listeners. To leave a review, simply visit thehealthinvestment.com review. It only takes about five minutes to do, and I cannot thank you enough for your support. All right, let's hear from Dr. Winterdale. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing, you deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing, there are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm gonna share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness because I wanna help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Michael. Thank you for joining me all the way from Denmark for this interview. We were just talking about how it's 12 o'clock p.m. my time, but it's 9 p.m. your time. So I'm really grateful that you are here with us today to share some of your exciting research findings. Thank you for having me. Of course. So can you start by sharing your story and specifically what led you to become a researcher? (laughs) <laughs> it's strange. I, I don't think I have ever gotten that question before. Huh. Um, so that that that's new for me. Well, it was certainly not in the cards. Um, I was brought up by a single mother on on the wrong side of uh, the tracks, so to mm. speak. To to speak. Um, so as a child, I have probably moved more times than uh, I can remember. Um, but my mother had one social economic oddity. She collected secondhand books. Um, and one day she brought home the, the Dragons of Eden. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Uh, it, it's written by Carl Sagan, the astronomer, oh, right. uh, okay. in, in, in the late 70s. And, and he's uh, combining the fields of evolutionary biology, psychology, it was probably not coined neuroscience uh, yet at the time, but but neuroscience really and computer science to give a perspective on how the human brain's the brain has evolved, and I, I f- 
I, I probably didn't know it at the time, but I really think that formed my perception of of science and neuroscience. Um, hmm. So, so we need all the disciplines to work together. Uh, neuroscience is an interdisciplinary science. Right. How old were you when you read that book? I I can't remember. I I uh, must have been a teenager, um, at the time. Yeah, and so then you just from there that was kind of your passion, and that's what led you to where Certainly you are today. For, for for science and an interest in understanding who we are. I I, I guess that's actually the question: uh, Who are we, and why are we as we are? Hmm. And then was there something particular that inspired you to research sugar? <laughs> well, um, I, I think in, in general, we're quite cautious when it comes to, to drugs. So medical, medical or recreational. Um, but, but it's much harder to grasp that everything we do affects the brain. Um, whether we are going for run or massively in love or just learning something new, it all affects the brain's chemistry. Um, and and the consumption of palatable foods um, is just something that affects everyone in at least the Western world. It's available everywhere and it's easily um, something you can get hold of. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, yeah, so that's interesting. So can you describe the experiment that you set up with pigs, I believe, right? <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I sometimes refer to my pigs as the most happy experimental animals, on, on at least in Denmark, but I think in the world. Um, but, but the setup is actually quite straightforward. Um, we use seven um female gutting mini pigs mini pigs just means that they have a large brain compared to their size hmm. um and and we then image them using a pet scanner that's where you use a little bit of radioactivity to trace um certain molecules and in our case we were using uh, we call it radio ligands to to look at the opioid system and the dopamine system of the brain before the pigs ever tasted sugar water and after they tasted sugar water for the first time and after 12 days on uh, of uh, consecutive uh, days of uh, sugar exposure. Hmm. Interesting. Just quickly, so you said that the pigs had bigger brains. How similar is a pig's brain to a human brain? Well, that's a very good question. Um, yeah. And and uh, our veterinarian always reminds me. I shouldn't say that they are more similar to humans than, for instance, rats are, because from a evolutionary point of view, pigs are not that close related to to humans. But what is really important in this context is the brain size, um, because we want to make a study that that we are able to translate the, into humans. Um, so. Pigs have relatively big brains, and secondly, they have, the outer cortex of the brain has many convolutions. So if, if you can visualize a human brain, it has all these convolutions. Um, 
it's something that a rat brain doesn't have. That's completely smooth. But the pig brain looks a lot like a small human brain. And, and in general, we think that convolutions are associated with higher connectivity and complexity of the brain. And that fits very well with the pigs. They are very complex in their behavior and they have they they interact all the time if possible and they're very curious they they always explore their surroundings so in that mm-hmm. sense they they are more human like um yes so 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 the brain is very like human and it fits into a human scanner so you can also use a human pet scanner uh, to to look at the chemistry of the the brain oh interesting so you could have chosen, obviously, another animal like a rat, but you chose a pig on purpose because of its brain size yes. and kind yes. of mimicking. Okay, interesting. Yes, because they, they, there's obviously research done in, in uh, rodents. I guess almost all the biomedical research is done in rodents because they're easy to handle. It's something we are very familiar with. But but we we can do things in pigs that's much more interesting because they do have this complex brain that is in many ways similar to the human. Hmm. I'm wondering going into the experiment, and we'll definitely get to all of your research findings. But did you have any thought of what might happen, or anything that you were trying to disprove or prove, just based on your own beliefs about sugar in the brain? Well, I, I think at the time I was actually at a lot of meetings at my children's school, and it's a very, very nice school. Um, it has some parents that have very strong opinions on, on for instance, whether children should be allowed to eat sugar. And I, I was probably a little bit looking forward to disproving some of uh, these ideas about what sugar does um, to behavior. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, okay. So what does sugar do to the brain and behavior? I mean, what did you find? Well, as I said, we looked at two different things. So we looked at the endogenous uh, opioid, uh, opioid release and the dopamine release. Uh, the first thing is we can see that opioids are released immediately when, when you the first time taste sugar or the pigs the first time taste sugar. That makes a lot of sense. It's a pleasurable experience. Pigs do not normally have access to to sugar water. So so they were very excited. Happy animals. Pleasurable pleasurable experience. Um what was more surprising was that after twelve days of consecutive uh, exposure to sugar we saw a decrease in the variability of dopamine receptors. So it's a bit like imagining an old-fashioned stereo. They had a button called attenuation. And and you can decrease the sound volume if you uh, operate that button. What we saw was a reduction of the number of uh, receptors. And that's like turning the volume down on your stereo. Interesting. So then it would take more sugar to get the same effects after many days? Is that what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the interesting part. So this is what happens in addiction. So if you compare it to cocaine addiction, 
one of the hallmarks of being addicted is you need more to elicit the same um, spark, the same experience. So you need more and more cocaine if you're a cocaine addict. What we saw was that we, this reduction of the availability of dopamine receptors, that's the same thing that happens in, in human addiction. Huh. Wow. So you so, need more and more yeah. okay. to have the same feeling. Okay. So, yeah, because I've heard that before. People say that the brain lights up when it has sugar in the same way that it reacts to drugs, like you said, like cocaine. And then some people say, no, that's a myth. It's not really that extreme. I mean, obviously, I mean, probably sugar isn't as extreme. I think we could say it's cocaine, well, but does it light up just, I mean, is it as extreme in the brain as cocaine? Well, cocaine acts on the dopamine transporter. So it's really blocking the removal of dopamine from the synapse. Um, so dopamine accumulates and, and, and the synapse produces or amplifies the signal in the receiving neurons. So that, that means that it's a very strong signal. And, and that leads to this reduction in availability of dopamine receptors. So the mechanism, and, and sugar, we are not completely sure what the mechanism is, to, to be honest, but, but it might be a slightly different or it probably is a slightly different mechanism, but the result is the same. Hmm. So on, on the neurocircuitry, um, the, the effects are the same. So yes, we can argue a bit about the strength of, of the signal. I think it's probably more a question of sugar having so many physiological functions beside being pleasurable. So there's a lot of regulation. It's highly regulated in the physiology of the body, whereas cocaine is like bypassing all the safety features of, of your body. It's not really an endogenous uh, thing. Hmm. Okay. So then my next question would be, did you, so the sugar water, is that sweetened with refined like white sugar? And then do you think would there be a different effect from natural sugar, let's say from fruit or from artificial sweeteners? Do you have any sense about that? Well, we, we used refined sugar. So okay. it's sucrose uh, solution, uh, like if you were drinking soda. Uh, and it's completely correct from, from a health perspective, not all sugars are created equal. Um, but, but we have to remember that uh, many foods that we eat including fruits and dairy products and vegetables for that, that matter, have natural sugar. Um, so, so it's a natural thing to ingest sugar. What can we say? Um, so so the, the body breaks down sugar in, in the same way, whether it comes from, from a cookie or it comes from, from fruit. The, the difference is that fruit, there's a lot of other things too. The packaging is different. So, so fruit is in general rich on fibers and, and you have vitamins and antioxidants and so on. So that makes it better sugar than just uh, refined sugar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So it would possibly, fructose, let's say from fruit, would light up your brain somewhat, but maybe not as extreme as the refined sugar because of the fiber and the other nutrients. Yeah, it's a question of how fast is it actually taken up. 
So mm-hmm. so if you eat something sugar from fruit, it's taken up much slower than than if you have refined sugar from from a cookie. That goes immediately into the bloodstream, much easier from fruits or vegetables. Right. Okay. And then what about, do you know anything or have any hypothesis about artificial sweeteners? So let's say a diet soda? Well, that that's really a good question. And it's it's not that easy to answer. Yeah. Um, I, I think we can think about it like if you have a box of cookies. So when which bite is the very best of, when, when you start a, a box of cookies? The very first bite. The very first bite. Yes, exactly. So the initial bite, that is bliss. So the first taste, dopamine is released into the brain's reward pathways, and you get this sensation of pleasure. At the same time, there's a hormone called leptin uh, released. And I guess you're very interested in that since you work with uh, weight gain and weight loss, because that's the sensation of being full. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that turns down the dopamine system too. So, so again, it's this button with attenuation turns down the volume of the dopamine system. So the next bite isn't as pleasurable, and you're hopefully getting the sensation of being full. So, so you you're not inclined to eat the entire box of uh, cookies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and my point, yes. What about the artificial sweeteners then? Um, <clears throat> So using fMRI, um, people researchers have looked at um, the effects of artificial sweeteners versus sugars, and, and it seems that the primary taste pathways of the brain um, are activated also by artificial sweeteners, um, but only the real sugars are able to um, um, elicit a, a significant response from from several of these um, taste reward secondary taste reward um, systems in, in in the deep parts of the brain. So there is a difference in the activation pattern um, when you eat refined sugars versus um, artificial sweeteners, and I think there's a difference in in the release of leptin. So the whole profile of this experience is probably different. Mm -hmm. A lot of people too, I know, will say it's better than refined sugar to use honey or maple syrup or something like that. But those can be very, very sweet as well. So I'm just, I'm always curious about, you know, I think probably they're better to use every so often than refined sugar, but I could still see them as possibly being something you could get addicted to or kind of like not be able to live without if you use it too much. Is that your sense? Well, I think, again, it's a question of the packaging. Mm. So if you, I'm not that familiar with honey, but but certainly eating fruit contains all these good things at the same time. Right. So you get the fibers, you get the vitamins, you get the antioxidants, and that's really important. Uh, the fibers make the sugar release to the blood much slower. It's something that the body can handle and you're not really overwhelming the brain at the same time. So there's a lot of reasons to have the natural sugars versus the refined ones. And and I think then, then the artificial sweeteners are a completely different thing that we have to investigate. 
uh-huh. separately. Yeah. Yeah, that would be so interesting. I know a lot of people use the word addicted when they talk about sugar. And they'll say, you know, I'm addicted to sugar. I'm trying to cut back. But it seems that it is somewhat of an addiction. Like it can become something you're addicted to and something to kind of examine your intake in your life, um, which wouldn't be easy, I guess, as well, if it's likened to a drug like cocaine. Not that it's in any way the same magnitude, but to kind of wean yourself off of sugar would then be challenging. Sure. Um, and, and obviously that's not something we have investigated in our research. Um, but I think the first step is to realize that in some aspects, sugar also hijacks the brain like cocaine does. So there may, might be a reason why it's so hard to quit uh, drinking soda and all these um, foods that contain sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So then can you touch on any of the long-term damage that eating too much sugar would have on the brain? Has that been a part of your research at all? Well, we haven't looked at it yet, but obviously this is something that we have considered when, when we saw the results of uh, our research. So, so I hope by now we have established that um, sugar affects the reward circuitry of the brain or the dopamine system of the brain, if you want. Um, but that's not just the reward circuitry. It's also the learning circuitry of the brain. Mm. So dopamine is the same molecule. If if you learn something new, you figure out, I don't know, when, when you started out doing podcasts, I think there was, a, there was probably a lot you needed to learn, yeah. how to record <laughs> sound was probably one of the first uh, things to cross off. And, and, and figuring out when some something new works that elicits a release of uh, dopamine that's what makes you return to that strategy to that uh, that way to solve a problem mm. and and if if that circuitry is taken over by sugar or cocaine um, it might make it harder to learn new things or you will be less interested in learning new things Equally, social, being social, social interactions, a lot of neurochemicals are released when, when you, you feel you interact with another human being and it makes sense, you click with that person. One of them is probably, or one of the most important is probably oxytocin, but oxytocin ties into the dopamine system. So dopamine is released, that is what makes you return to that context, to that person. Um, so, so seeing that the dopamine system is affected means that learning would be uh, affected or just being social could be affected by what you eat. And I think that is a fascinating thought that what you eat can actually affect something like being social. Right. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Tying food to your mood and energy levels. And like you said, even just desire to learn something new. A lot of people who are used to eating sugar can describe some type of brain fog they have where everything kind of feels cloudy. And then when they reduce their intake of sugar, they feel just like everything's clearer and they're just able to think better. Um, Exactly. New things are just not as interesting Hmm. as they used to be. 
when you're and, addicted and I think that to sugar. When when you're addicted to anything, okay, for, yeah. for that matter, because it it all ties into the dopamine system. Yeah, wow. It also makes me think of how exercise, some on the converse, doing something that you can kind of give your body that jolt and all the awesome feelings from exercise. You know, you can do it in a positive way or through sugar. It's kind of doing the opposite effect. So really thinking about the choices we're making in order to give our body the best fuel it needs and to feel ready to learn and ready to engage socially and energized. Yes. And, and, and of course, you can overdo exercising, too. You can actually get addicted to exercising because dopamine is also released when, when you exercise. But for most people... It is a good thing. It's a just a dynamic, positive release of dopamine, keeping your dopamine system sound and healthy. Yeah, interesting. I'm wondering, did your findings at all affect how you eat in your life, or did you march into the school and <laughs> make a big announcement to all of the parents there? <laughs> no, but that's actually been quite an interest in, in, in the findings. Um, which is always fun because you you get the chance to talk about what you what you do, um, and and it certainly made me a bit more careful uh, about what I eat. Um, I I enjoy tremendous sweet things, so so also for me it, it is a bit of a detox. Um, <laughs> yeah, to just be more aware. To be more aware, I think that's the the point. Uh, everything in moderation. Right. It's not like we're all going to give up our favorite desserts forever, but no, but but it doesn't hurt to cut a little bit away. There's no reason that all food should contain extra sugar. Um, Right now we have this tendency to add sugar to all products. Uh, And and hopefully that could change a bit with, uh, with time. Yeah, and especially now that research like yours is coming out, making people kind of think twice and then hopefully demand different products that are lower in sugar. And Yes, exactly. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered thrivemarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, that's great. Um, Yeah, I just find that my approach is always keep things that I love as treats kind of outside of my home. I love a really good chocolate chip cookie, but if I had just stacks and stacks (laughs) of chocolate chip cookies around all the time, I would eat them all the time. So... You know, it's nice to have them inside my home every once in a while as a treat. But other than that, I like to enjoy desserts, ice cream, whatever, when I'm out at an ice cream shop or at a cute coffee shop that has really good desserts and not just keeping them around all the time. I think that's... Exactly. 
and 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 that's really then then you're using it as motivation and and who who doesn't like a good chocolate chip cookie yeah i mean i don't know no friend of mine i mean i would not <laughs> i would not go near that person that's for sure well i'm wondering that person. i would definitely not trust that person exactly what are some questions that you hope to answer through further research well obviously like all research we we are trying to get funding to go on with the re- what we're doing but certainly what i would like to look into was the learning perspective so does it actually change the, the our ability to learn again it would be good to do that in the pigs because we can control the condition that they are in so so well um, and the social aspect is really something that also has my interest and because pigs are so social as they are i think it's obvious to look at how they interact would they lose the interest in in the fellow pigs if we feed them uh, sugar so, so i would really like to see more research uh, along that path could you see a difference in their behavior immediately after the first time they had the sugar water were they more kind of energetic or something they were definitely excited pigs are easily excited um but but except from 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 my observation it wasn't something we looked at systematically and in science it's always a question of looking at something very systematic um and we didn't do that in in this experiment so so that that will be something for the next round right okay interesting well i'm so grateful for you sharing these findings and i think it makes people, again, as we said, kind of be more aware and also not feel like they're crazy if they feel like they're addicted to sugar. Um, there's definitely some truth to that. And then kind of examining what are some ways to slowly, maybe day by day, decrease your intake or make some kind of healthier swaps for things like a piece of fruit, for example, instead of maybe something made with refined sugar. But I think you know, your findings will really have an awesome impact. Um, And I know people are really talking about them a lot, which is how I found you in the first place. So I'm (laughs) grateful for the research you're doing. Uh, The last question I ask each of my guests is based on the title of the podcast. And it's, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? (laughs) That is, again, a a very difficult question. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I mentioned early on that everything we are our brains and and it to me it's it's strange that you would put so much energy in selecting where to live the right house to buy um you will spend time figuring out what is the right school for your kids or you spend time selecting the right car uh, that signals all the right things um but we're not spending enough time thinking about what our actions, very simple actions, do to our brains. So we should definitely spend more time taking care of the health of our brain because that is what we are and our abilities to interact and learn and uh, everything, dream. Yeah, I love that. Nobody's ever answered it quite like that. So I love that. unique approach to it but it's so true we spend a ton of time thinking about those things you mentioned and maybe not as much time about going back to what we were talking about earlier how much sugar we're ingesting or just diet in general so 
I, I think it's a very simple thing, but we, we, we know it does affect our body and our brain. Like physical activity, what you eat will affect your brain. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the, my approach to it and kind of why I do what I do is that I want to feel the absolute best that I can in this one precious life I have. And I know that diet is one way to do that. And then obviously movement and, you know, sleep and stress management, all of that good stuff. But what are the ways that we can, what are the things that we can eat to really just make us feel amazing so that we can live life to the fullest is kind of my approach to health and why I got into this in the first place. So, so I, I don't have any answers to what to do when you're addicted, but I think the first part is to realizing that this is a real thing. It's very hard. And sometimes you have to reach out for help. And I guess that's where you come into the picture because you can actually help people make the right choices and change the way that they think about what they eat, for instance. Definitely. Well, where can listeners follow and find you? Are you active on any social media or? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, so you can find me there. And, and I also try to make a few updates about the research that I do. If you look at my profile, it's actually quite broad. So uh, I do a lot of different things within the field of neuroscience and neuroimaging primarily. But, but we have some interesting stuff going on, especially with oxytocin and feeding behavior and social behavior and things like that. Awesome. I'll definitely put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And again, I just want to thank you for being here. I learned a lot and I know that my researchers, or my, not my researchers, <laughs> I wish I had little researchers out there <laughs> answering all of my questions. Uh, my listeners will really enjoy everything they heard today. Thank you. It was a pleasure being part of your podcast. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.